Welcome to the Balanced Feminine Podcast. My name is Katie Derry, and I'm an intuitive eating coach. Through my own journey with an eating disorder, I have found the connection between real food, community, and a positive relationship to oneself. I truly believe that women can find healing and peace with their bodies through the nourishment of real food and self-love. And I'm Maddie Meshke. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and certified personal trainer. After a long history of my own chronic digestive issues with really no answers to be found, I finally was able to heal my own gut and now live symptom-free. I help other women to do the same while also aligning with their feminine power. This is our show centered on helping women find a balanced lifestyle that nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Balanced Feminine. We are so excited today because we have a really special guest, Mikey Brackett. I pronounced your last name correctly, right? Okay. (laughs) I can be very dyslexic. But Mikey is a therapist, um, deals with trauma, anxiety, depression. Um, Yeah, Mikey, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. As you said, my name is Mikey Brackett. I'm in Denver, Colorado. I've been here for almost 12 years now. Um, I've been a therapist for 10 of those years, uh, which is crazy to say out loud because uh, I can remember when I first started as a therapist and being like, oh my gosh, I've got to get all the like credentials and stuff. And now I've done that and I've been <laughs> doing this for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm a therapist. I'm a coach. I also have a 500-hour registered yoga teacher certification. So I Sometimes dabble in the world of yoga, depending on what opportunities are available to me. And yeah, my focus is on helping people clear blockages in their lives, go deeper into their own stories so that they can uh, retrieve and excavate the things that are there for them to help them feel whole so that they can live more vibrant lives. And that's where I focus a lot. And when I meet with people, whether it be a child or an older person or a couple, um, I'm there with them in the process of trying to help them learn more about themselves and uh, find the things that got lost somewhere along the way. Wow. Yeah, that's That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, incredible. If you don't mind me asking, I I love hearing people's personal stories. And I'm just curious, how did you kind of come to find this work and find that you were passionate about it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the South, so therapy was not something that was on my radar at all. Uh, I didn't grow up in a culture that was very psychologically friendly, if that's even a way to describe it. Um, So it wasn't until I got into college and was dealing with so many like issues in regards to like all the trauma that had happened in my life that I actually finally like connected with a therapist of sorts on campus. Um, But even that didn't really do it for me. And then through my program i went to a school called belmont university in nashville tennessee um through my program i had an opportunity to do this really random outside the box internship type thing um basically what happened is one of my professors at the beginning of class the first day of class i don't know we'll just say my sophomore junior year uh junior year was like who wants a challenge and so i raised my hand i was like the first person raised my hand i was like i'll do it and he's like, all right, meet me after class. And he's like, I need a few other people. And they raise their hands. Um, and then, you know, we meet with him after class. And he goes, okay, you're going to be a chaplain intern at the cancer ward in Vanderbilt Hospital. And I was like, oh, wow. cool. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> and so through all this stuff, me and a handful of other students ended up uh, volunteering of sorts as people that would go sit with people 
um, who were in the hospital for different reasons to just be a listening ear. Um, and I specifically was assigned to the cancer treatment center. So for, um, for my role is I would go check in with the nurses and just see who had requested a visit from like a chaplain or someone. And I would go and just basically listen to people um, and ask them questions about how they were doing and whatnot as they were dealing with chronic illness and whatnot. Um, and through that experience, it really blew up in my worldview of understanding what it looked like to be with people, what it looked like to help people, what it looked like to even like be in the world. Um, Cause oftentimes in our culture, especially uh, things that pertain to medical issues are isolated and disenfranchised often to buildings where we don't go and where we don't think about. Um, you don't go to a hospital until something's really wrong typically. Um, but there's a whole world that exists within that system in and of itself um, where there's a lot of people that are hurting and in need. Um, and that just kind of really just transformed how I saw things uh, and how I saw people and what actually helped them heal or at least what they struggled with. And, you know, as a 20 something year old kid at the time being asked questions from people who were dying of cancer about life and God and whatever else was pretty humbling. Um, oh, yeah. And so that really opened me up to be like, okay, how do I like help people? And then that led me into, you know, psychology and led me into therapy. And then through my therapeutic worlds, that's led me from things like neuroscience and brain interventions to somatic work like yoga and energetic work like energy healing to other things like psychedelic support. Um, just anything that really helps people heal. Um, and that's been a little bit of my journey. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love how you said, you know, it's kind of that part of life that we just put on the back burner and don't really think about and kind of just segregate it from the other parts of life. And I think with health, we do that as well, where we kind of segregate each part of the body or each different form of illness or imbalance from each other. But really, as you were mm -hmm. saying, when we integrate it all together, it creates this whole picture. Um, mm -hmm. And I really like that you're talking about, you know, you do the therapy and all of that mental health things, but then also focusing in on the yoga and the breath work and realizing that we're, mm -hmm. we're all connected, like the physical and the emotional and the mental and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever people connect with me for coaching or therapy, they always ask me, like most people ask me like, well, like what's your approach? And one of the things I always say is that I, I see the human as a holistic person, meaning mind, body, heart, soul, you know, all those different things. So at any given time, it's important to approach whatever you're going through from that perspective to say like, hey, there are many aspects and facets to who you are at any given time. One or many of those things, all of them could be pushing and pulling on each other in different ways that's deeply affecting you. So you could have a spiritual issue that's manifesting in your life and causing relationship problems. You could have a physical issue that's manifesting in your life and causing, you know, mental health issues. I mean, it, it goes all over the place. Everything pushes and pulls. So I really oh. like to take that approach. Yeah, that's awesome. When you're working with someone and you're talking about how like an imbalance in one area can manifest in another area, how do you really try and hone in on finding that root cause? Do you kind of address mm -hmm. all aspects at once or do you just hone in on mm -hmm. one area? Um, well, through my 
professional career, I offer a lot of different options for people to be able to find where the in is like, oh, could we come this way? Could we go this way? Sometimes people in the past have been like, I looked at your website and there's like a lot of things. I'm like, yeah, sorry. (laughs) There's a lot of things. Um, But part of that also has a lot to do with what people are open with. Some people come to me and they're like, I'll present a few options and they'll be like, I don't know. So let's just talk. You know, a lot of people see me as a therapist in the world. And so for better or worse, that's how they want to engage with me. Um, and so sometimes it's strictly talk therapy, but throughout talk therapy, especially if someone's open or needing something, or it's obvious that one of these facets of who they are is needing support, then I'll interject different things like, you know, how do we get your nutrition online? How do we get your physical lifestyle choices online? How do we tap into the energetics of what's happening in your cells from a spiritual level and help you find ways to, to go way deeper into like, you know, all the like Joe Dispenza E stuff of like quantum yeah. um, work. And, and then other times, you know, it's, um, I'm a highly intuitive pe- person. So sometimes I can just like sense things for people. And depending on where they're at in their process, I can present those things to them in a digestible way and say, Hey, like, it seems like this specific trauma that you're carrying in your body is dot, dot, dot. And I'll present different things for people as like a doorway of like, Hey, here's this thing that seems to be coming through, through your expressions. Here's these dynamics that you're, you know, communicating to me. Um, sometimes I use spiritual ideas around that. Um, sometimes I use more psychological ideas around that um, to help, yeah, to help someone really like step into their story and be like, okay, yeah, like what do I want to do with this thing? Um, yeah, and that can inform whether I do neurofeedback with someone, whether I do yoga therapy with someone. I also do this technique that's super cool. If someone just doesn't know, it's called NET um, or neuroemotional therapy or technique. And it's basically a muscle testing um, tool that like, tries to correlate or doesn't try to correlate. It helps you correlate non-consciously where your body's storing different emotional pain points. And so you interact with your body um, to find that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, oh my God, Dr. Klinghart. He's Mm -hmm. based out of Seattle and that's like becoming, NAT is becoming really big for helping um, treat people and Mm -hmm. heal and stuff. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's different muscle testing. Is that what you said? Yeah. So muscle testing was basically like the way that I learned it um, is a, is a way to sense fluctuations in the nervous system by using muscle, muscle, muscle tension or resistance. Um, So in NET, the way I do it, and I think it's how a lot of doctors have learned to do it from the certification is someone will hold their arm out and I'll push on it. You know, and, and I'll just, just a light about a pressure. It's not like a wrestling match or anything, but I'll push on it. And then, you know, we'll check a few different things. Um, meaning like we'll do a few statements that are true. We'll do a few statements that are emotionally charged. Um, and then we'll try to find out based off of what a person's carrying emotionally, how their body responds to that. And most likely what often happens is if I say, you know, you're afraid of your dog and they love their dog, their arm is just going to stay strong because it's not a true statement. There's no emotional charge in it. But if I say something else that might be scarier, they might be like, oh yeah, and their arm will give. So their nervous system will send a little bit of a message 
Oh I love that so much because yeah. yeah. that was supplements too. And I never yeah. connected that you could do it. I mean, obviously the body's a whole, you mm-hmm. can use it for anything. That's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, and that's how I use it when I'm, if I'm doing a more specific nutritional thing with someone, I'll, I'll use that to help with finding out what supplements they might need. Yeah. Um, with that, um, because Maddie and I are very like health conscious and I'm curious, yeah. how do you like treat someone and I know you had said that you do it based on like them and like, okay, if this person needs like nutrients and Mm -hmm. nutritional help or whatever, how do you figure out like, are you trying to say that how is someone's mental health going to influence their digestion or? Well, right. So we're seeing like an epidemic right now of, you know, young kids that are severely overweight they're Mm -hmm. um, really struggling with eating disorders and with that we're also seeing an increase in Mm -hmm. adhd and everyone's just assuming like oh this is just you know normal Mm -hmm. and my question is is like so you have a patient or client come to you and and Mm -hmm. they're clearly struggling with anxiety and depression like where do you begin do you start with nutrition first or like, how do you do that? I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, with, with almost every client, because I am a, a therapist and I work in the realm of psychology primarily, I want to understand what the experience is. So someone will be like, Oh, I really struggle with anxiety. I'm like, okay, awesome. Like, tell me what that means to you. What does it look like? How does it show up? How does it affect you? What's the nature and the, the quality of anxiety that you experience? How often does it happen? I really want to get the personal experience because I could say I experience anxiety and each of you could say that and it could mean something incredibly different. Um, And then as someone's describing it and we're walking through it, then I want to understand, and this is a big part of what I do or try to do with everybody is I want to understand like, where's this, where is this coming from? Because the human person isn't designed to be chronically mentally hindered. Now there's tons of legitimate reasons as to why that might be true, but that's not how you're, wired you're not wired to be anxious you're not wired to be depressed right and so in that sense i want to like understand what the story is a little bit and then from understanding a bit of where this originates in someone um then i want to find out what's going to be helpful for them and what they can do and what they're willing to do in order to like see if it can change because one of the things that i say is um you know you're far more capable than you realize and healing is way more accessible than you ever realize it just uh, it just really depends on like are you willing right Uh, and that that gets really tricky because someone might say yeah i'm totally willing but they're really not and that's where like the the confusion and the like nuances and the fascinating nature of the psyche come into play is sometimes we have these deeper, deeper realities that are at play within us um, that even contribute to why or how it is that we may or may not be feeling the way we want to. Um, so oftentimes when I'm trying to understand what someone's going through, I really want to hear from them what it what it's about. And then I want to like have them really understand the differences in it. Like if you're anxious today, how is that different than the anxiety you might have experienced last week? And how is that different from the anxiety you might even experience tomorrow? One of the gifts of diagnosis is that we have these labels and these criteria to help us understand what's happening. But one of the curses is that it just becomes a blanket 
word that doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. You know, you could talk to anybody probably and they'd be like, oh yeah, I struggle with depression. And you're like, what, right. what does that mean? Right. We've lost touch with like the depth of how our psyches actually work and how we as humans as a holistic system really function. And then we just get stuck with labels. And so really breaking down like, what is your depression? What is your anxiety? How I did a talk, um, little like thing with one of my really good friends, um, Amy Morrison, who goes by True Core Health on Instagram. And we talked about the differences between ADHD, anxiety, uh, and trauma. And there's really clear differences, but oftentimes trauma gets misdiagnosed as ADHD. Wow. Um, uh, because the symptomology uh, is so similar sometimes, it's really hard to like differentiate when you just work with certain labels of what someone's experiencing. So yeah. sometimes you have to really get into the weeds of what's happening and how and why and for how long yeah. um, to really know how to help. It's interesting as you're saying that because so I actually was telling Maddie and her husband the other day that I went to a high school that I at the time was experiencing like a lot of trauma, but they yeah. were, um, they told me that I was su- severely ADHD and mm-hmm. rather than doing any sort of like, you know, what's going on and how can we help you and support you? It was immediately like, we're going to put you on Adderall. And yeah. I was on Adderall for a couple of years and it was completely <sighs> detrimental to my brain. And I've seen a lot of yeah. effects afterwards of like my, mm-hmm. I didn't, not that I didn't struggle with anxiety before, but it wasn't as severe. And mm-hmm. it's been a like a, a journey to try and figure out like, how can I cope with this? And my sister said something to me, she was like, your brain was developing when they put you on that chemical. And that's yep. gonna have like a lot of repercussions as you become yeah. an adult. And I mean, I know that like, I, so Tanai, you did the podcast with Tanai. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So I love her. She's amazing. And so I, um, I've been on this journey of trying to figure out like, I don't want to be on medication. And and I feel like Western medicine has completely failed us. They, it's like, yeah, you know, someone comes in and they're like, I have anxiety and depression. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to prescribe you this SSRI. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I know that we've spoken, like it was just such a band-aid to everything. And the issues mm-hmm. were still there. And I got to a point where I was like, I, you know, I, I don't want to live my life like numb. Like I want to feel the, the pain, but I also want to know how to deal with it when it comes through. And that was kind of like one of the things. And I know you have a really cool perspective on like how psilocybin can help people. And that's like become mm-hmm. whole. I mean, that's incredible. Like Michael Pollan and all those guys are really opening up the door. And I'm curious, like if you could share like your perspective on it and how you've seen it help people. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, with that conversation with Tanai and other things, it's like the Western medical model came at a time in history when it was needed. Right. Um, when it was needed to like help push things in a direction to really help people with the growing, you know, population of the world with the, the development of c- cities and all this kind of stuff. There's so many beautiful and powerful things that have come from Western medicine. But instead of like taking this thing that 
came into existence and pulling it into everything else that existed. We've created it as its own thing. And so it's so devoid of everything else. And, you know, one of the things I believe is that, um, you know, as a, to be human is to be learning. Like the human journey is a journey of learning. And that's not an easy, quick journey. Um, but we've gotten so fixated from an egoic and like denying of the feminine kind of place. Yeah. wanting quick results, wanting quick answers, not wanting to suffer, not wanting to work hard. There's like all these layers of things that from our own resistance to health um, from a psychological level we've created. And so it's like, yeah, you're throwing Adderall in kids, which is like, you should never do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I work with kids and I, and I have some kids that have needed things like Ritalin or Adderall, but it's always short term. Right. Um, because sometimes the way our brains interface with the environment is just something that is a byproduct of the chaotic world that we've created. That's not good for your soul or your body. Um, and so like, yeah, in that conversation with Tanai, I talked a little bit about uh, psychedelics and medication and there's nothing wrong with medication. If you need it, it's actually a really powerful tool. However, one of the things I often caution people with is it's, it needs to be managed properly mm -hmm. um, because there are risks like, um, the SSRI withdrawals, which are yeah. incredibly destructive, but no one talks about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things from my perspective that, um, has been so powerful is the reintegration of naturopathic medicine, Ayurvedic care, um, psychedelic use, all these different things that, um, are natural and are tools that can help people heal that aren't medication based. Like, you know, there is really cool stuff about like microdosing certain things or even like, um, like anytime I do nutrition stuff with someone, if I recommend or we find that they might need a supplement, if that's what they need, like if they actually need to take something to help them, it's always time limited. It's always like, take this for three weeks and then we'll see like if your body's kind of getting the push it needs. And so the same thing with like microdosing psilocybin and things, it's like you want to, these things are meant to be tools to help you push through things and to help support your system because you are a biological system that needs support in working through these other things that are super intense and, you know, complicated and, you know, transgenerational and all of this stuff. You know, so much of the trauma that each of us carries is not only our own trauma, but the trauma of our society, the trauma of our ancestors. And sometimes you need tools and things like that to help get that stuff out of the way because it's not yours and it's hurting you. Um, so things like psilocybin come in to be like, here's a tool that alters the way your brain processes even your own understanding of yourself. And let's see what happens if we can open up those doors a little bit and provide your system a chance to experience something slightly different or not be stuck in the same, you know, neural pathways or remote patterns that happen in you as a person uh, physically as well and see if that little window of opening can show you something that you can actually integrate into your life that will change how you feel. Wow. So you said something really cool and I, I want to ask about it. Um, mm -hmm. The You touched on the feminine and how we're kind of like in denial of the feminine right now. And I'd, I'd just love to hear your perspective on that. And 
I don't know if mm-hmm. denial is the right word, but like, you know, pushing away from it. So, sure. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like, so a lot of what I'll say will come from what's called a depth psychology perspective, because that's a huge area that I invest a lot of time in for myself and my own study and growth as a person. And depth psychology, for anyone who doesn't know it, is is originated out of the work of Carl Jung um, and what's called psychodynamic therapies um, or analytical therapies. Um, and when you start digging down that rabbit hole, which is really fun and complicated, you start really pushing into what's called archetypal uh, realities or archetypal psychology. And two of the larger containers for archetypes are the masculine and the feminine. And there's a really profound author um, who trained one of my uh, dear friends and mentors who uh, trained me in my 500-hour yoga teacher training. Her name is Shakti Redding. She's in Vail, Colorado. Um, And then the the, um, teacher, her name is Marion Woodman. Um, And Marion Woodman was a teacher, an educator, a writer. You can find her books, which are super, super cool. And she did a lot of work around the feminine. And she talks about how we have denied the feminine on such a deep level that we can't even see how much damage we're doing to ourselves. And it shows up in ways of like ecology, you know, how we're just like destroying the earth for consumerism. It shows up in the inability for people to connect emotionally because we become so rigid with needing outcomes that we don't allow enough space and fluidity for experience to be something that informs how we process who we are and what's happening in the world. I still have so much to learn from her. She passed, unfortunately, not too long ago, but her books and all the other people that are tied into that world. Um, uh, there's so many great resources. A book I read recently um, was called The Heroine's Journey by uh, Murdoch. Is her last name? Um, Dr. Murdoch. And it talks a lot about some of this too, of how the evolution of the feminine and each of us, especially for people who identify as women, uh, is this different kind of journey than the typical hero's journey, which has gotten a lot of attention in our world, um, not only through media, but also through how we process what a meaningful life looks like. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of the results of the need for human survival and longevity of life relied a lot on masculine principles. And now that we've gotten to a place where we don't necessarily need to survive all the time. We haven't let go of those survival mechanisms. And in that place have suffocated a bit of the feminine principle and how we see ourselves in the world around us. Uh, And it shows up in our medical models and it shows up in our relationships and it shows up in how we think about ourselves. It shows up in our body image. It shows up in, you know, anything. I mean, it's everywhere. And so in that sense, learning how to embrace the feminine and reintegrate it and heal it looks a lot like learning how to go deeper uh, and learning how to be more fluid with even yourself as you engage the world and other people around you. Yeah, I love that. I wonder, this thought just kind of popped into my head. Do you think some of the problems that we see today with 
being so disconnected from our body. And as you were mentioning, the anxiety, not really knowing where the anxiety comes from, not even recognizing that it's different from day to day. Um, I'll see with my clients, like when it comes to stress, they don't really understand. I'll ask them, oh, how's your stress? And they, oh, I don't have that much stress. But when you Mm -hmm. look into it and all the different ways that stress can manifest, they have a lot of stress and just all this disconnection from our body. Do you think that's coming Mm -hmm. from our kind of trend towards pushing against this um, feminine energy? Because I would, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Having that feminine energy and like taking the time to turn inward and really understand what your body is saying to you can make such a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much there. I mean, that's like a whole class to unpack. Um, Marianne Woodman, who I referred to earlier, actually has a lot to say about that kind of stuff because she, as a psychologist, worked a lot with eating disorders, and she has a lot of really great thoughts on you know how to even like begin to process what all that looks like yeah yeah we actually are like starting to kind of blend our two businesses together and we we're working primarily we want to work with women that have struggled with eating disorders because we both Mm -hmm. have been there um yeah Yeah. and there's so much psychology around it and Mm-hmm. personally for someone that's been through like i guess you could say the system of you know treatment centers and stuff um mm-hmm. i think that there's so much more to it than the way that it's been handled um in a sense oh sure yeah um yeah and i think it kind of like i mean in my experience it was like I remember being sent to the treatment center and they were like, okay, like now we're going to force you to eat and then you're going to draw a picture. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, what, (laughs) how is this help? Like, this is what there's some deeper going on here. And like, no one Mm -hmm. gave me that. Like, I just need to eat and there's nutritional Mm -hmm. value. Like, yes, I understand that. But like, that's not why I've gotten to this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every mental health issue is not what it's about. Meaning right. like needing disorder is usually not about food. Right. Uh, an addiction to pornography is not about pornography. Right. You know, whatever, whatever the thing is, a depression because, you know, you dot, dot, dot is usually not about that thing. Right. Which is crazy to say, but it's, it's true on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I feel like it's a very masculine way of dealing with things of being like, okay, like, this is how, you know, it is and it's black and white. And there, there's like, no, um, there was, it felt like there wasn't now that I look back, there's not much femininity around like how things were handled. And, um, especially as women being in that center in that space, it's like, Mm -hmm. that would have been probably one of the most beneficial tools to have to understand what was really going on beneath the surface. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. yeah, like you're saying, there's so much to it than just the food aspect. When we were talking mm-hmm. the other night and just the ways that you become triggered are just so out of the blue and really don't make any sense if you're just looking at it from that lens. But when you take the time mm-hmm. to actually think back and connect to those moments and what is the underlying issue here, it can make so much more sense. And you can actually be able to approach mm-hmm. it in a way that can be tangible and effective. So. Yeah. Oh, totally. But that, I mean, I think I said this earlier, that's not easy to do. And that's not quick right. to really get into a space to know yourself 
to be with yourself, to be with the different aspects of who you are, whether it be younger parts or shadowy parts, like that takes a while. That takes a lifetime. And so to be like, you know, to be in such a crisis driven world that we've created, you don't have, you know, that you don't have time to like try to figure out what's really going on. Right. Um, And so it's like, just eat something. Much like it's like you're not sure on some level that might be necessary because someone might be in a really bad place and they they actually need sustenance to be able to make it. However, if that's not where you are, then like okay, like we got some work to do. Yeah, and that's the you know that's the work of therapy is who are you? What is going on? What do you believe? How has this life affected you? And what about that is not in alignment with your soul's purpose here on this world? And what if it is not in alignment with the fact that like your birthright is to thrive and to enjoy and to explore and to learn? Um, Yeah. So you mentioned um, some of the like generational trauma that can be passed down. Mm -hmm. And I also saw on your um, Instagram, you talked a little bit maybe about past life regressions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you tend to get into with clients? Um, not quite yet. Um, there's a certain vein of clients that I try to open that up to, but it's such a complicated and nuanced thing that I don't really introduce it, generally speaking. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure out how to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I just find it so interesting. So I was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, transgenerational trauma is the idea that, you know, what your great grandmother went through was passed down to your grandmother and what she went through was passed down to your mother and what she went through was passed down to you. And there's actually like uh, tons of like fascinating research that's out there um, that has some really profound implications of understanding what this even means. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want like a, an easy way to jump into the world of understanding some of this. Um, Mark Woolman, Mark Woolman, I think that's right. Wrote a book called it didn't start with, or it didn't start with you. I think that's the name of it. And it, he basically just talks about like generational trauma as it's passed down genetically or epigenetically and the implications of how that plays out in societies and in individual lives. So you have that reality. And I actually did have a client, a conversation with a client about this not too long ago because they've been carrying a lot of pain in their body that just kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, well, let's, and they asked the question, like, you know, we think this might be from, you know, some trans generational trauma. They had that language from our sessions. Uh, and so we sat with it for a second. And it's like, okay, is this yours or is this someone else's? And we walk through a somatic type of work to find out what's going on. And then we look at it and say, okay, if it is yours, what's that about? And, you know, if I take a quick little side note, this is where some of the interesting work of what's called entheogenic um, support can come in. So entheogens are plant-based tools. So like psilocybin or mushrooms can be one of those. Um, I find that being able to use those, um, and this tends to fall more into the realm of like shamanism, um, as supports can actually help someone explore past life um, aspects. But then you can, there's also ways of doing um, meditations and other things like that um, to help someone connect into it. It's just like super cosmic and weird, but 
um, pulling back, if it is something that is for someone, then we want to integrate and understand like, okay, is this yours in this life? Like, is this something that you've been carrying because of your own struggle with the reality that you are in at this current time and age and family system and culture and all the things that you're a part of. And a lot of times that's where it ends up stopping Mm -hmm. for someone, but every now and then you'll find something where it's like, okay, it's really not. So what is this? And then that opens up the door to say, okay, well, if you believe like I do that you in this life are just one incarnation of who you've been throughout you know history as we know it then there's the reality that well there's a lot of other histories that have happened and that you may have been as a soul um another person on this planet having this human experience and that there may or may not have been things that happened or didn't happen for you that were a part of what you've been trying to sort through as a human in this you know, experience of life. Uh, and so some of those things may have carried over in your consciousness into this life. And so just, you know, oftentimes from what I know, and I'm not very seasoned in this yet, so I don't, I'm not an authority to speak to, but there is this reality that like, sometimes you just need to be able to recognize that, oh, like this has been something that's been stuck in my soul that I've been trying to work out that has nothing to do with this life right here, or it might have something to do with like the whole journey of my soul, but I might be able to integrate it or leave it be, or just acknowledge it. And from a past life, and that might be enough. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> now it's funny because I'm very new to all of this. I would say sure. Matt is a lot more in touch with this realm of things. And yeah, I, would, I just find it super interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I feel like for me, there's a little bit of a block there. Like, it's hard for me to understand that, like, okay, like, trauma is passed on through a different life, or we were, I don't know how to say it, but I, it's interesting because I was working with a um, psychotherapist who leads um, hypnotherapy, and he was leading through a hypnotherapy at the time I was going through a breakup, and I was kind of Mm -hmm. explaining to him everything. And he was like, So I'm getting like, a reading in and basically in a your past life you the person that you were madly in love with was ripped apart from you and you like chase Mm. after him down a train track like and Mm. never saw him again and so you've been searching Mm. in this lifetime to find that person and it was so weird and i remember sharing with maddie and i'm thinking like this isn't true sort of situation but at the time when he did say it to me I just like started bawling. Like I was just like crying. Mm. It was almost like a release because it makes, I was trying to understand like, where is this coming from? You know, where has this come from? And so when he said it, I was like, okay, that's, I could, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It was really interesting too. Cause she, she shared it with me and my husband. And as soon as she said it, like we both just got, chills down our spine (laughs) yeah yeah, that's crazy that makes so much sense and it's also so beautiful yeah Yeah. that realization but i think it's hard i mean Mm -hmm. we're living in a society that like to really sit down and be able to acknowledge something as crazy as not as crazy but as you know like profound that 
we once were another human being and another soul. And now we've come mm-hmm. back in a different lifetime. I think it's hard. It's definitely hard to wrap your brain around for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's totally nuts to think about. And at the same time, no one can tell you what happened before they were born. Right. Yeah. And no one can tell you what happened when they were born other than third person accounts. Yeah, exactly. Even in this life, there are aspects of it that you have zero conscious connection to, but it happened and it was real. Um, And no one can tell you what happens after you die. Yeah. So it's like we have these experiences of our lived waking life, but then we also have this whole other realm. Just the realm of dreams itself is a whole other realm. And how is it that that even happens? And why? And what are, the, what are the function of them? I mean, that goes back to like the psychodynamic theory that I was mentioning. It does a lot of dream work, but you dream. Right. There's so many theories on why that is or isn't a thing. But I guarantee you, you both had dreams where you woke up and you were just like, what the? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, it le- and it hangs around and it affects you. And maybe you have reoccurring dreams. And it's like, well, how in the world does that even happen? So it's like, you know, I think one of the gifts of embracing the feminine is you start to be able to be like, I have no fucking clue. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, I'm better right. than you today. I love it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it's there. You right. know, uh, one of the things that I say to friends and clients all the time is like, right now, each of us, we're engaged in a conversation and we are in different places and I say things and they affect you and you say things and I understand them. And there's some alchemical process happening just in our conversation. It's like, how in the world does that even happen? Yeah. Mm. yeah. There's a deep mystery to life in general that we've just doled ourselves out to because the mystery involves destruction and creation, which again is the feminine. And we're afraid of one side of it. And then we become f- afraid of that side of ourselves. And then we get shut off to the reality of what this universe is. And then we just get closed off. And it's like, you know, yeah, there's yeah. the, the psyche's um, phenomenally bizarre. The body is bizarre. The fact that you have a soul or could is bizarre. This cosmos is bizarre. But like, there's a, there's a difference between it being bizarre and being exciting and interesting and b- it being bizarre and being scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's so crazy because we all just go day to day throughout life and it becomes can become mundane and you're just so used to it. But when you really take the time to sit back and think about how actually incredible this life is and just all of the situations that come up, the people you meet, yeah. every scenario is so crazy. And I was I can't remember mm-hmm. what I was listening to, but I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about how most people wouldn't think that their life is worth, um, mm. you know, like $6 million. But if someone said, I'll give you $6 million, but that means you'll die tomorrow, that most people wouldn't take up that offer. So then you're saying that mm. one day is worth, one day in your life is worth that amount of money. And right. I think it's really crazy when we just take the time to sit back and realize how blessed we are to have something mm. so incredible. Right. Yeah, it, it really is. And it makes sense as to why it's hard to see that sometimes, mm-hmm. um, which is a call, I think, to all of us to do our work, to heal, yeah. to grow, to invite crazy, weird ideas like past life stuff or whatever into our community so that we can all begin to fight our own outlets into 
repairing yeah. the damage that's been done to our souls that we perpetuate because of our survival mechanisms and our egos. Um, yeah. That word. <laughs> I've heard, word for for that it's a long ego. But the yeah. ego word tends to be a trigger word for me. And it's sure. and not and not in a bad way. I totally believe. I think it's mm-hmm. I mean, it's so fascinating and there's so much to be said around um, you know, doing work around the ego and really understanding it. Um mm-hmm. and I've been kind of researching it more because I was in a situation where it was like not used against me, but it was used in a difficult way to navigate. And so I've been really trying to figure out how to, um, how, like what it means and what is, Mm -hmm. ego and what is it asking? And, um, I've actually talked to Tanai about it and, you know, she said it so beautifully, like our ego is there to protect us. And Mm. it's what we, grew up with and now it's like a survival like mechanism and how do we one of the things that i've been learning is like how do you look at your ego with compassion and say okay like this is here to protect me but like also what is my authentic self asking um Mm -hmm. that's been like a huge journey of mine because it's like a and because it's so triggering, it's like, okay, there's clearly some work that needs to be done around why. And um, sure. I think what you were saying about like, you know, growth and relationships for me, it's like, I feel like I'm always trying to grow. And the other day I kind of had this epiphany. It was like, it's never going to stop. Like you're always yeah. going to <laughs> you're meant to evolve we're always mm-hmm. going to be evolving. So yeah. you know, when I turn 28 or 29, I'm going to learn something new in that period of my life. And I'm going to have to be met with new growth and I'm going to have to mm-hmm. do more work to evolve, to get to that place that I want to be at. And that's a little daunting. I think that's why it's really easy for people to just say like, fuck it. I'm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Go therapy. I'm not going to do this stuff. Like I don't right. face it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a huge um, existential crisis to that of like, do you truly, well, at least this is what I believe, like that dilemma is, do I truly trust that like what I deeply long for could be possible and like actualized in this life from all that I believe about myself to all that like I could see in this world? Or do I decide that like I'm happy with some version that's being sold to me, which is what a lot of people take. Um, it's what's called existential responsibility in that world of thought of like, it's too hard, quote unquote, too hard um, to try to make all these things happen. So you tell me what to do. Right, right. Whether it be a political party or a religious organization or a friend group or a certain way of like having style. Right. Or even spirituality. There's a ton in the world of spirituality that like proclaims expansiveness, which is just right. another, another false leader. Yeah. It says like, if you do these 10 things and your life will be okay. And it's like, well, you don't know. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's a tricky thing for a human person to look themselves in the mirror and be like, I deeply believe on a soul, whatever you want to call it level that like, there's something fascinating about this life, yeah. but am I going to trust and risk the fact that I could believe that that's true for me? Right. And a lot of people say, I don't know. And so, you know, you go buy the next car that you want, 
right. you you know fixate on the, the that's where consumerism from the collective thing is such a damaging tricky thing is it's an it's a exchange you yeah. exchange your joy for for something else right and i think what you said about trust i mean that's something that like right now i feel like it's hard to find within like mm-hmm. like in the human soul i almost feel like we've lost trust within ourselves like we put sure. so much you said it perfectly, like whether it's a therapist or a coach or something like we're looking for other people to give us the answers to our own lives mm-hmm. instead of being able to be like, what is my authentic self? What is my soul longing for and asking of me in this mm-hmm. lifetime? And how do I trust that? I mean, there's, and it's really hard because like we're in a time period of so much unknown and everything. And it's like, how do you mm-hmm. find that trust within yourself? So yeah. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, I just want to kind of revert back to the depression and anxiety thing for a minute. Um, I've yeah, heard it said before that depression is a nature deficiency and maybe mm-hmm. a disconnect from the way that we're supposed to live, the way that we evolved to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering what your perspective is on that and kind of how mm-hmm. you view the lens of depression and what that root cause kind of looks like. I mean, I know it's probably different for everyone, but just sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at this stuff Um, from the perspective that you presented of like it being a nature deficiency. If I put myself in that posture for a second, I would say, yeah, both anxiety and depression are a nature deficiency. Um, We've become so dependent on substances to like make our lives work well. Um, when in reality, like nature is probably the best fuel that any of us could have. And yeah, if you struggle with anxiety or depression, if there's a way for you to minimalize and sim- simplify your life and get it back rooted into the rhythms of your body and the earth, that probably will be something that radically changes your experience. However, that's going to take some big sacrifices quote unquote, from like the way that you've chosen to live your life. Um, How I tend to approach anxiety and depression from a very just like basic psychological, physiological perspective is that they're two sides of the same coin. That anxiety and depression are two sides of how the nervous system processes the stimuli that you encounter in your daily life, whether that be you know, your butt on the chair that you're sitting in to the verbal abuse that you went through, like doesn't necessarily matter. It's all quote unquote stimuli to the body. And then your body has to process that and do something with it. And certain aspects of that are, you know, overwhelming or overloading. And then you have to go into a certain mode of compensating again, strictly biologically speaking to try and, you know, manage that sort of stimuli um so when i used to teach psychology on the university level we would go through you know um sensation memory perception um chapters and sections on that and you know the data up until at least what i used to teach was that your body your nervous system is processing what we call billions of bits of data every second and that's sensation that's temperature, smell, sound, external stimuli, 
as well as internal stimuli, you know, the fluctuations of your endocrine system and your neurotransmitters and everything else that you're unaware of. Your body's constantly every second managing so much data. And if that data gets out of what we call homeostasis, or if your body's ability to process that data gets out of our homeostatic uh, norms, then it's going to go up or down. You know, if it's like homeostasis, it's like a, you know, nice pulse of up and down sort of waveform kind of thing, like your heartbeat monitor. If you get a spike and it up on the top side or the bottom side, your body has to shift gears. And oftentimes that's where um, you'll start to notice something like anxiety or depression. If your body goes into hypoarousal, so like a spike downward, you might start to feel mood wise or physiologically lower, depressed, whatever. If it, your body spikes in what we call hyperarousal on the upper end of that spectrum, you might start to feel nervous, stressed, anxious. Um, and then depending on what those trigger things are, what those stimuli are to push your body or your system into those places, you're going to have a certain response. And that response might require a certain amount of energy. And depending on what that is, you might get stuck up, that, up at that upper threshold. And that is what we often call anxiety. Or you might get stuck at that lower threshold, which is often what we call depression. So from that perspective, when I see it that way and I try to help clients with it that way, I'm like, okay, well, why are you stuck? Mm. If you, this is what your body's doing, not to mention soul, emotions, history, not, take all that stuff out of the picture for a second. Then what's that saying? What do you need to curve back down? If your body has lost its ability to regulate itself based off of what you experienced or what's happening in your life on a reoccurring pattern, what's going to help curve that spike down? And so sometimes, you know, that looks like different coping skills. It looks like different support systems. It looks like getting into nature, doing breath work, like whatever's going to like get you back into that homeostatic rhythm. Um, and oftentimes from a psychological perspective, when you're looking at that that lens of it of saying like oh there's an upper threshold and a lower threshold and you might be stuck at one of those well it's like the other question is well why what's your body telling you maybe you're stuck on an upper threshold of an anxiety because you need to do something yeah. you need to push that through something needs to change in your life yeah or if maybe you're stuck at a lower threshold because your body's like we need a break we need rest we need to be introspective we need to disconnect from the craziness of the matrix like, yeah. give us a break. And if you don't listen to your body, you don't listen to your soul in those places, well, you might develop what might be called like an anxiety disorder or a, a mood disorder. Because um, you're not, again, you're not tapped into yourself. You're not tapped into the world around you. You're just functioning aimlessly. Right. Um, yeah. Disconnected from nature, disconnected from yourself, whatever it might be. Yeah, I really love that perspective of there's always something wrong when that's happening and it's not just that's the way you are um, yeah it's a signal yeah, yeah exactly yeah i think that's been i mean for someone that has anxiety i guess i don't know if mm -hmm. you encourage people to identify i have anxiety but like yeah, you struggle uh, with anxiety yeah i struggle with anxiety that's better yeah. i am um, i think it's been that's been one of the biggest tools with helping mm -hmm. me of reevaluating my anxiety of like, this isn't something that is me, but it's something mm -hmm. I'm struggling with at the time. Cause it's a signal that something's going yeah. on and I need to reevaluate things. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. And that can be daily and that can be monthly. It can be every few years. It can be circumstantially. It doesn't really matter. Right. Right. And, but back to like what questions I ask my clients and whatnot, if it is something that's like a lot yeah. and outside of a window that feels like tolerable to you, well, let's find out why. Yeah. It's like, oh, you were, you were fed stimulants for most of your childhood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's like see what we can do about that. Right, right. You exactly. know, let's reset the baseline. Yeah. I know it's funny because people used to refer to me as like pretty messy. And then like mm. after Adderall, it was like just become so obsessive with everything mm-hmm. that like people sure. walk into my house and they'd be like, I once dated this guy and he was like, I'm so afraid to leave a cup on the counter. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, 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 that used to not be a thing for me. <laughs> right, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so as we're kind of wrapping up here, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like in your practice, um, being a therapist and, you know, any advice that you could offer people that are struggling with anxiety and depression in this moment and any like the most effective tools you've seen and if that makes. Yeah. Yeah. The easiest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like one of the challenges I present to all of my clients is like, you have to be willing to change. Yeah. Um, and you have to be willing to make significant changes to your lifestyle, to the way you think, to what you're even willing to look at. So I often encourage people like, you know, just on like the surface of anxiety, it's like, oh, well, like, let's figure out lifestyle wise, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Do you have routines? Do you have practices? Are you physically exerting yourself in healthy ways? Are you filling yourself up in nutritious ways? Do you have meaningful connection? Are you connected to something bigger than yourself? Like all of those are things that I want to try to understand with someone and try to see if there's simple, subtle ways to make changes to the full spectrum of their lived experience that if you do that, like what, what do you notice being different? Um, And then, you know, depending on what does or doesn't change, then we want to look at it from a different perspective. Um, And then at the same time, you know, if I'm not just working on the basic level, I want to be like, all right, like let's dig in. Let's look under all the rocks and dig holes and excavate things and find out like what's really going on for you. Don't be afraid to go deeper. I think a lot of people get scared and intimidated by therapy because they think that like they're going to find that something's really fucked up about themselves under the, under the carpet if they like really share something. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, like that's a false narrative. Right. Right. Um, like, don't be afraid to really dig in and get into the process. Don't be afraid to invest time into doing something like therapy to really sort through things and give yourself the permission to not be okay with the way things are from a compassionate stance. And then, yeah, constantly dig in deep and then back off and like look at like what are some simple things that just make you feel better. Right. Not from a hedonistic standpoint, but from like a genuinely I feel good standpoint. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's lots of things that yeah. in that space of you know eating better, exercising, being outside more, you know, having meaningful conversations, learning how to even communicate better. I mean, there's there's so much there. Yeah, that full picture. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. That this has been awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah, like my brain is exploding right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. 
Yeah, yeah. thank you, Mikey. Um, I'm sure that our audience will love hearing all of the wise information you have to share. And we really sure. appreciate it. And then where yeah, of course. can we find you? Um, do you want to share your Instagram and website? And Sure. Yeah, yeah. my Instagram is uh, Mikey.bracket, I believe. Um, and then my website is MikeyBracket.com. And that's just spelled M-I-K-E-Y. B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T. And those are like the easiest ways. I'm on psychology today. I'm on other like referral network things for being yeah. a therapist. But if you just want like a direct line to me, mm-hmm. that's the easiest way to do it. Cool. And you're located in Denver. So yep, I'm in Denver. Yeah. Uh, I do in-person therapy, coaching, all the random other things I mentioned from neurofeedback to NET to yoga. Yeah. But then I'm also avail- available digitally, virtually for coaching and therapy if people want to work with me to try and dial things in in their life and awesome. find out what some of the root issues are. Awesome. Fuck yeah. Look, there's my <laughs> F-bomb. <laughs> there was one. Two to there one. Was, oh, there was one other. I didn't even realize yeah. either. Uh, great. So well, thanks again, thanks Mikey. So you have a great day. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you all for listening and you can find us on Instagram at the balanced feminine podcast or separately. My account is at Katie period dairy. And you can find me at Maddie Meshke and make sure to leave us a review. And if you think that this episode would benefit someone, make sure to share that with them and we'll see you guys all next episode. Bye guys. Bye.